0: Have you ever been in a situation where you weren't strong enough to do something? There was just a certain time where it was like, you know, you, you had this, this bolt that you were really going at, and you're like, all right, I got this thing, and you spray the WD-40 on it, and, and you're giving it all you got, and you even got one of those long extension bars, and you're hanging on it, and you're just not strong enough. I've been there not that long ago, actually. And you're just, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you're doing, you just aren't quite strong enough to get it done. Or maybe, you know, you're trying that bench press and, and you get to that last rep and there's just, you just don't, I know I know Jonathan's never experienced that, John or Jonathan, either one of them, but I know I have. I, I'm one of the, and, and you get to that, you get it halfway up and you're like, oh, like I, I wonder, how am I going to bail on this? And you know maybe you forgot to bring the spotter and so you're just trying to figure out how to do it. or Or you're running that last lap and man, you get that stitch in your side and you know it's game over. You know it's going to turn out bad. You're like, oh man, okay. All right. I'm sure we've all experienced the time where we just don't have enough strength, where we just are just too weak to go on. We're just too weak to get that last thing done. Today we're going to be talking about a glorious strength. Not the kind of strength that's going to get you that last rep necessarily, uh, you know, but, but it's the kind of kind of strength that's going to get you that last rep in life to help you persevere, help you endure the sufferings and the pains and the trials on this earth. It is a glorious strength that comes from God. It's his glorious might, a power that never runs out. So join me as we read God's word in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. All right, let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day that you've, given us, Lord. Thank you for getting us here safely. I pray that you get us home safely as well. God, hold off the uh, the snow until church is over. God, I pray that um, you help us to have a uh, a great day today, keep us safe, uh, help us to enjoy time as a family together. We may be stuck inside today, but it'll be maybe a nice time for our families to connect and, and be able to enjoy time together, Lord. Uh, I pray that you are ultimately glorified through this service and glorified uh, through our time together. We love you amen. So today we're going to discuss three ways that we can be empowered by God. And the first one is through the empowering work of God, you can be filled fully. I'm going to read verse nine again here. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So first we see from the day we heard, and from the day we heard what? This is the day that Epiphras came to Paul and let him know how the Colossians were doing. So, since that day, it says he's never failed to pray for them. Now, does that mean that he sits around and he is, has his eyes bowed and or his head bowed and his eyes closed and he's always praying for the church of Colossae every step he takes? A- absolutely not. That, that's not what he's saying. He's not praying every, every waking second. It could be more accurately understood. We continue to pray for the church of Colossae. So, when he prays, he prays for this very church. And I think this statement here can. Can be a bit convicting for us today, I know it 's convicting to me because are we really regularly praying for others? I, I do my best to do that, and I even keep prayerless, and I have to keep myself accountable that way. But how often do our our prayers end up being more about ourselves, more about our own situations more more about where we are there necessarily and i think I think that can be pretty convicting to us uh, prayer is is a very important thing for us. And we can learn a lot about how prayer should look in our lives by looking at how Paul is praying for these people. So he's lifting them up on a regular basis. And how is he praying for them? It's also interesting to see how he's praying for them. He's not saying, well, help them get more rich. Help them to be healthy. Help them do those things you know, obviously it's not a sin to, to have a little bit of money. It's not a sin to have great health. It's not a sin to want somebody to have a great day. Oh, those aren't sinful things, but he is focused on what truly matters, what has eternal significance, and he's praying for spiritual wisdom and understanding for these people. But we, I think we all understand kind of what it means to be filled with knowledge, right? I mean, so we kind of understand taking in things, filling our brains, but, the, the, but, but what is this knowledge that we're talking about? It's the knowledge of his will, and it's a knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And these two Greek words are Sophia and, and Sunesis. Uh, they're the two for wisdom and understanding. And they're actually very, very similar. Uh, if, you look, if you look them up in the Greek, they have very similar definitions when you kind of put them side by side. And they both share a same source. So we're talking about spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. It comes from who? The Holy Spirit from God, right? So, so the, the Holy Spirit is their source in us. But these concepts go a lot further than just knowing the right thing to do, right? A lot of times we know the right thing to do, but we don't necessarily do it, right? And we also might know the right thing to do, but we might not do it at the right time. And so spiritual wisdom and understanding here in your handout, it's do the right thing at the right time and in the right way. So do the right thing at the right time in the right way. Right. And so doing the right thing at the wrong time comes from a lack of wisdom. And we see this played out no better than Israel. So in Numbers 14, 40 through 45, there's another ten. They come back and Joshua and Caleb were like, dude, this is a great place. Let's do this. Let's let's make this happen. But what do the other ten say? There's giants there. You know, we're not going there. This is I know it looks good, but it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk. And so God's judgment kind of comes upon them and they're like, okay well, you know, what, what are we going to do here? Uh, and, uh, it, well, this is before they, they wandered for 40 years. Sorry, this is what happens afterwards. But, but they're like, okay, what are we going to do? You know, well, now the guys are like, well, you know, we disobeyed God. And so now, okay, you know, we, we went in there, Joshua and Caleb said we were supposed to. We said we shouldn't, we don't do it. God's judgment says you're going to all die in the wilderness for 40 years. You're going to be walking around for 40 years. Well, now they're like, dude, we don't want to walk around for 40 years and all die in the wilderness. That doesn't sound like a great plan. So why don't we go ahead and obey God now? Now we're going to go ahead and take that step forward. We're going to say, okay, we're going to do it. What does Moses say? Moses says, don't do it, fellas. God's not with you. Don't go. What do they do? They go anyway. And they get decisively whooped, they, they get beat up pretty good. And so they did the right thing, right? It, the right thing was to go and take the promised land. God actually had commanded that, but they did it at the wrong time. They didn't do it when they were supposed to obey. You see this with kids sometimes, right? You know, you tell your, to ask your child to do something, and they don't do it at that time. They do it at a time where actually you're running late and you really need to get somewhere. And now, now they're going to do that what you asked them to do. They clean the room. Oh, well, now it's when we're ten minutes late. So now you're going to clean your room at this point. So that's not wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding is doing the right thing at the right time and then also in the right way. So these people weren't doing the thing, doing, that, doing the right thing. They're doing the right thing at the wrong time and in the wrong way. Because how are they doing it? They were doing it. And disobedience to God, they're doing it out of either fear of having to go in the wilderness for forty years, out of pride, saying, "Okay, we got this. We'll, we'll go ahead and step up. We got these guys." They maybe, I don't know, if you ever people try to really psych themselves up when they get in a situation where, okay, there's these giants, and they've been scared, but now. Now we're going to get psyched up. We're going to get pumped up. We're going to go. We're going to get it now. And so they pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go, okay, we got this, fellas. Let's go after it. So they did it in the wrong way. They didn't do it in a humility to Christ. And so because of this bad report, they end up suffering a defeat. Anytime the Lord is not with you, it's definitely the wrong time. I can tell you that for sure. And it's definitely going to be in the wrong way and you will be defeated. On the flip side, doing the wrong thing may stem from either not having the knowledge, so not being in the word, not listening to God's commands, or frankly, more commonly, by being even disobedient to the command that you do here. And we see this with Lot's wife, right? I'm sure most of you all remember Lot's wife, and so Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be judged because of their sinfulness. God's about to rain down fire, burning sulfur on this land. And God says what? Don't look back. Don't look back. What does Lot's wife do? So we see, here's the command, so we kind of see it, G- Genesis uh, nineteen seventeen, And they brought them out. Once, uh, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And what happens in 26? But Lot's wife behind him looked back. She became a pillar of salt. That's a pretty rough judgment. Remember, we're, we're to do the right thing at the right time and in the right way. So getting back to verse 9 where we were we've seen how paul is praying for these people and it's really convicting in many ways like we said how are we praying for others i think i think you know when we pray for others a lot of times we pray for for felt needs for physical needs and that's not a problem we we pray for somebody's job we pray for somebody's health we pray for you know if you listen to most prayer requests that we get in the church most of those things are, and those are very valid requests. So don't don't hear me don't hear me rebuking. That those are requests we need to we need to bring up. Because guess what? We're physical. We're, we we have bodies that are decaying. I don't I don't want too many amens there, right? Yeah. Uh, so we have bodies that aren't exactly what they were ten, twenty, thirty, maybe more years ago, right? Uh, and so we have physical ailments, and God loves us, and He wants He wants to hear those. Look at David. He, he, he cries out to the Lord about a lot of physical ailments. He cries out to the Lord because people are trying to take his life and his persecution. So he definitely does. But how often are we praying about somebody's spiritual growth? How often are we praying that somebody makes the right decisions in life, that they're, that they're reading the word, that they're growing, uh, that they love God? How often are we praying that they, that they lead their families well? Uh, how often are we praying for children if they have a heart bent on serving the Lord, not just if they get into good college or if they get a great job or if they marry Mr. Wright or mrs Wright right, right? No, I, I, those are, those are great prayers don 't get me wrong you know those, those are not bad prayers, but how, how much more time are we spending on the physical things that we know are temporary versus the eternal things which we know are going to last forever? Their heart is what, and their soul is what matters more than anything else, and we see Paul just really push on that, he knows hey. Their wealth is going to fade away. Their health is going to fade away. They're not going to, you know, they're not, they're, their body's going to decay. They're going to die, right? And so I'm going to focus more so on their spiritual life. I'm going to focus more, more so on them obeying the will of God, having knowledge of his will and understanding. And he says not only just he wants them to have it, he wants them to be filled with it. This Greek word is pleiero, and it means to be filled completely, made full. It means to be all of that knowledge of God's will, over is overbrimming, overflowing in their minds to where it pushes everything else out. We get a lot of garbage, right? Uh, if you watch the media, if you are in our schools, if you you know, it, frankly, sadly, even in a lot of liberal-minded churches, there's a lot of garbage being pushed at us and and kind of hammered into us. And we need to fight that stuff. We we, we need to be in His God's Word because it's only God's Word, as Romans 12:2 that says we can renew our mind that we can push that stuff out. So Romans 12:2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How is our mind renewed? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word, working on our minds our minds are really struggling these days, it seems like. We look at suicide rates. We look at drug abuse. We look at families breaking up. We look at just decisions that people are making. You watch our government and what it does sometimes, or a lot of the time. When we watch these things, our minds are struggling. There's, Satan is, is going after our minds. Satan is going after our families, and how do we fight that? It's through the Word of God, which never changes. Our culture like Brother Jim was telling us this morning, it changes. And there's lots of false teaching that comes out. But how do we figure out what's right and what's wrong? This right here, it will let us know. And so we need to be in that constantly so that when things come off, we can deflect them, right? We're we, to we, we have a shield of faith, and it's to, to, to extinguish the arrows of the enemy. And don't, get me, don't, don't, uh, don't let uh, people tell you that he's not. He's shooting many arrows at you every day, all the time. They can be small arrows sometimes. Maybe they're just a little tiny sting, maybe a little tiny thing. Just, oh, did, did God really say, right? Genesis 3. Uh, oh, you know, is God is love. Doesn't he really, he'd, he'd probably approve of that relationship. I know, I know Romans 1 says this, but is that really what matters? Or even better, you maybe don't know what Romans 1 says. Maybe you don't know what real biblical marriage looks like. Well, how do we get to know that? We gotta be in the word. We gotta be under teaching. We gotta be studying it. Allow God to renew your mind, and then he can fill. You can be completely filled. You can be filled fully. And number two, we see through the empowering work of God, you can walk wisely. Walk wisely. Let's read uh, verse 10 here. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I don't know about you all, but this is a very tough statement for me. It says to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we see this in a couple other areas of Scripture too. Anybody walking in a manner worthy of the Lord every day? Everyone, can I get a show of hands? I'm not going to put mine up, so you go ahead. This is tough, and it, frankly, it's impossible, right? We, we can't, none of us are worthy of the Lord. This is a command that God knows we can't do perfectly, but he knows we can only strive to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, through him working through us and in us. We need to continue to strive for it, for obedience and bearing fruit, and we need to be continually reading the word of God so that we can grow then it's not just enough to, to know God, to know the will of God, to, to maybe, it's not even enough to know all the right things to do. A lot of times we can know the right things, but obedience is so important, and faith is so important. So Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Impossible, right? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. In order to walk in a manner worthy and pleasing to God, we must be walking in faith. Not walking in the flesh, not walking in our own strength, but walking in faith. And may we again note Paul's prayerful emphasis on their spiritual health here. He wants to see them bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God and see them growing spiritually. And we see him say he wants them to bear fruit in every good work. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is really clear that believers bear fruit, and I, I know in our world we like to misinterpret things or, or kind of soft pedal certain issues. We'll say, and a lot of people will say, "Well, salvation is just a head knowledge of God; just believe that Jesus is God, and you can be saved." And and sadly, there's there's a huge part of that that's a huge part of the gospel that's missing there. And, and yes, it is. It is simple. It is very simple. So simple that, that a small child can be saved. It, it, it's not this crazy, huge you know, doctrine you have to understand. Yes, the Bible has great doctrine, and as you grow, you should be sanctified and made more like Christ and learn more about Him. But in order to be saved, you don't have to know every, the answer to everything. But there is a very, very important thing. It's not just picking the right stock to invest in. It's, oh, that's the sure thing. Put your money there. That's going to get you in check. All right. I, I invested in the right stock. I thought I made that. I made the decision to put, to go all in on this certain stock. And so now I'm good. I put all my money. I'm all in on that. It's a lot bigger than that. There, there's, there's an aspect that's left out of most gospel messages and it's called repentance. And, and, and if you listen to a lot of people share the gospel, they, they leave that R word out. It's all about just believe, believe, believe. What what does that really mean? You know, believe is actually an action word. It's not in English. It's it's more of a it's more of this head knowledge. Okay, yeah, I, I believe I believe it's going to snow because the weather people said it was going to snow. Well, you know, okay, the, what, what kind how what kind of faith did that really take? Uh, obviously, I still came to church, so I, I at least believed that maybe it would hold off long enough for me to get home or for us to get home or that God would provide that, right? But but repentance requires a change of direction. It, it's being born again. It's so much bigger than just, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian because I believe that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. James warns us very, very uh, vividly here in James two twenty six, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. We quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 very often, that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. We are not saved by our works. There is nothing that our filthy hands can do that... Uh, we talked about this weeks ago, months ago, about how it's like pig pen, right? And, and everything he does, no matter how hard he tries, it has just dirt all over it. If he makes you a pie, you probably don't want to eat it, right? Because it's got dirt all in it. You know, if, if he wants to come over and clean your house, he's going to mess your house up as he works, right? That's us. We're as we're filthy rags. Our best deeds are as filthy rags. As Brother Adam sang on one of the songs, The Best of Our Works... The best of our works pierce his hands and his feet. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. So hear that, brothers and sisters. We are not saved by works. But also hear this. A true saving faith works. A true saving faith bears fruit. And it's not that you are even working. It is God works in you. When the Holy Spirit indwells a believer, when you have truly believed in the Lord Jesus, you've admitted I am a sinner, you've confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you have went from this way to this way. You've made a change of direction. I'm not the Lord of my life. God, you are. Here's the keys. He's not your co-pilot. He he don't ride and co pilot He he doesn't take shotgun. He's in the driver's seat. He's not going to just let you kind of steer your life. He's going to take it over. So so we go from one way and we go the other. The Holy Spirit, we are promised. We are born again. We are made a new creation. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And so fruit has to come out because God lives in you if god doesn't live in you well then fruit's not going to come out so if you look at your life and you're like man you know i went forward when i was 10 you know i believed the right things i checked the boxes i invested i went all in on that stock that's a good stock i think it's better than islam i think it's better than mormonism i think it's better than Jehovah's witness i think this is more of a sure thing i'm going on that one more people are believing it around me my parents may have believed it so okay it looks like that's they went all in on that i'm gonna that's what my family does we're gonna go there that's not gonna get you in that is not salvation. Salvation is much bigger than that. It, it's much, Jesus said to count the cost, right? There's a cost of salvation, and it, it, the cost of salvation is your life. It's, okay, not, now it's not your dreams. Well, I want to do this. I want to do this. Now it's, God, what do you want for me? And that's. it's just tragic that that so many people don't understand what it really means to be saved, and so many pastors won't have that hard conversation to say, hey, this is, what true salvation is and Paul here he's saying I want you to grow spiritually yeah do I want you to be healthy absolutely I'm sure I'm sure he would say yeah I want you to be healthy uh, you know I, I want you to you know, I want these things for you and uh, granted I want you all to be healthy I want you all to do well but, but what I want more for this church for all of us for myself included is that we grow in the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual understanding and knowledge we see this no better stated than the Colossians 3 2 later on in this book Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. In, er, in order to walk wisely through this earth, through this life, we have got to be focused on what truly matters. My wife uh, often asks our children when they have disagreements two very, very important questions. Number one, is this still going to matter in months or years? Like, are you really going to remember this argument, this scuffle? Does, does, does that Lego really matter that much? Does, does that book really matter this much? Do so we even going to remember that? And maybe even better, does this have any eternal significance? Like, th- does this argument, does this relational disagreement, does it have any eternal significance? And as we walk with Christ, I think that's really important for us to think about. Is what we're doing, does it have eternal significance? The uh, most of the things that we're involved in, the most things we're doing, is it going to matter in months, years, days even, or not, Right? And I think that's really. If we make decisions like how are we gonna, how are we going to invest our money, how are we going to invest our time, how what are we going to do with our family, what are we going to have our kids involved in, what what are we how are we going to be teaching our children the word of God, how are we going to be leading worship with our families or being involved in church or being involved in missions or whatever whatever we're doing is what we're doing. Is it going to make a difference? I love sports, huge sports guy. We just were in upward yesterday. I love it, but. Is that going to matter eternally as far as what the score was? No, I won't even remember it probably. Enough. you know, Next year, I won't even remember what the score was from yesterday's games. But what matters is, are we teaching them to be more like Christ? And that's one thing I love about Upward is we, we get to do devotions at halftime and we get to do things like that. But, but whatever we're doing, d- does, it, does it glorify Christ? Does it make us more like him? And does it have an eternal significance? So through his empowering work, we can walk wisely. And finally, through the empowering work of God, you can stand securely. Stand securely. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So as I've said before, we would title this message Glorious Strength, and the title was obviously taken from that verse. We are strengthened or empowered by God according to his glorious strength through the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I love that phrase, all Power, I man. That is that's tough. You know, I mean, everybody wants to be tough, right? So this is all power. It's not just some power. It's not. He's just gonna give you a little bit of power. The Almighty, all powerful God, indwells us as believers. Like there, there's no limit to His power. Uh, you know, yeah, we get to that last rep, our physical bodies, yeah, they're gonna fail. We get that last lap, and you know, even though people like to misquote Philippians 4:13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You might not make that last laugh. I'm just going to be straight. Like that verse is about, about your spiritual endurance. It, it, it's that you're going to be able to overcome spiritually. And, and I think even, even a lot of well-meaning churches misinterpret this idea too, that he's going to give you all strength to overcome and, and to persevere. And a lot of times you'll hear certain church groups say, you know what, we're going to rule and reign on earth you know, right now. The kingdom of God has arrived, and we are going to take over this place, and we're going to change this whole world, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ right now, right? Jesus will come back, and we will rule and reign with Christ one day. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ let us know that they treated him bad. We're going to be treated bad. We're going to be persecuted. You know what? People are killed in the name of Christ every day. And it's not because they don't have faith. Frankly, they probably got more faith than we have. They're going in places like China and places that you can't get into. You know what? God didn't promise we're going we're gonna to be strengthened with all power so that we win every single battle. The war has been won. Salvation has been won for us, and we have won the war. But there will be battles that we, that we don't overcome as far as what we, what we would see. But we will overcome perseverance-wise, endurance-wise, and he will protect us in our faith and help us to persevere. Brothers and sisters, we we aren't empowered just to do whatever we want to do. We're not given the power of God just to plan out our lives the way we want to plan them out, uh, to maybe accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. We are empowered to do what God wants us to do, whether that's to, to, to be blessed in a certain way or whether that's sometimes to suffer as he suffered. He will give us strength, though. But when we get to those times of suffering, and brothers and sisters, we will, he says, it doesn't say if, it's when you are tempted, when you face trials, not if. We can quote what Hebrews thirteen six and say, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? What shall, and then Romans eight thirty one. what shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? We need not fear because we have God on our side. Yes, man may be able to take our lives, may be able to make our lives miserable. But God is the one we are truly to revere and fear. He has the power after taking your life to throw you in the pit of hell, actually the Bible says. He is that God. But that same God has that type of power, has promised to those who are his children, which hopefully all of us are, are his children, he has promised to give us all power to be able to overcome spiritually. How great is that? Getting back to verse 11, we see this reflection of the previous two verses. What, what can we really do with the knowledge of God's will and wisdom without understanding God's power? What good is it to be commanded to walk in a matter, manner worthy of Christ without get being given the power to do it? And the Bible is clear that, that none of us are righteous on our own. None of us can do good. Not, not one of us is good, Romans, Romans 3. But then we also see in Matthew nineteen twenty six it says, "Yet yeah, with God all things are possible. The only way we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and stand securely is through the power of God himself. So don't hear me saying, hey, go be better. Go do better. Because if you could, you would have, right? What I'm telling you is, hey, lean on Christ more. Read his word more. Rely on his power that never runs out. Don't be, don't be, don't be trying to get those reps with your own power. Don't, don't be trying to overcome that sin that's in your life that just keeps dragging you down. That you just keep falling on your face. Don't keep trying to work from your own abilities to try to overcome that. Use the power of God. After letting us know how this empower, empowerment should affect us, we, we see that we should have endurance and patience with joy. When most of us think about endurance and patience, what, what is the first word that comes to your mind? Probably not joy. <laughs> Probably not joy. I just think it's really interesting that that word is right after those two words. Uh, when I think of endurance, I think of Races. And if any of you have run a lot, um, it's not always the most joy, right? I, and you get to that, you know, you start getting that stitch in your side, and you're going, "I'm a big guy. I know. I mean, I know it, it's it's it running's not my thing necessarily. I like to run, but but you know, running 26 miles probably wouldn't be good on this frame. Uh, but you know, I, I remember that. Like, it, it seems like suffering sometimes, right? Pain and suffering to do that. And then patience, yeah, maybe even worse than endurance. Uh, when I think about joy, because patience, in order to have patience, like when you say, think of somebody who, who the most patient person you know is. Why do you think they're so patient? Because they're being tested. You know, you see that one lady, and she's got these kids that are just, man, they're just doing all kinds of stuff, and she's just calm as a cucumber, as cool as a cucumber. She's just, sh- and she's able to redirect them and get them back in line and do whatever. The only reason you think she has patience is because she just got tested, and she just passed. You know, or you, you think of this, this guy who's getting yelled at by this person, and, you, and he just chill, just handles it like a champ and says, hey, you know, and, and handles it really well. Well, the reason you think he's patient is because he didn't deck that guy that, that you would have decked, you know, right? You'd be like, I'd have hit him. I'd have hit him. I would hit him i would not have let him talk to me like that. So in order to be able to show that, you're, that you endure or that you're patient, you have to endure <laughs> whatever t- trial or temptation that is in order to see. These words point to one who is steadfast under trial. Believers to the power of God can face trials and tribulations, and they can do it with patience and endurance. I want us to talk about a, a missionary real quick to close this out here in a little while. Adoniram Judson. Here's here's a a nice picture of him uh, there. So Adoniram Judson, if you don't know, he was actually one of the first Baptist missionaries, and actually was probably probably the first Baptist missionary from the U.S. Uh, he was actually a a pioneer at the time. After William Carey, William Carey was a was a a, an, a British guy who went uh, went as a missionary. Uh, he kind of was the first pioneer, and Adam Iron Judson's going after that. The time of the church in the seventeen, eighteen hundreds was was marked by hyper Calvinism, and what what they believed was, eh, God is sovereign, which is true, right. But and, and he chooses, he, you know, he, he chooses who's saved and who's not, which obviously has some biblical backing in it, but they kind of completely tossed off human responsibility. You know, like, yeah, you know, man, man didn't have to make a decision. That there's nothing. And so this hyper Calvinism led to zero missions. It was like, hey, God's going to save, he's going to save, we don't really need to go tell anybody about it, right? And so they, they really focused on their families, and they, and they did teach their kids, but they didn't send people out. And Adon- Adoniram Judson was, 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 was against that, and he said, hey, we need to go tell people about Christ, and so he goes over to Burma, and Burma had a very strong, here's a picture of Burma there near India, if you're kind of trying to look there, and Burma had pretty much zero Christians. Uh, this was an unreached people group. They, they didn't know the gospel, and, and Adoniram Judson just has this, this heart. He hears a sermon, and he's just like, he hears from this other missionary guy that was kind of talking about it, and he has this heart to go to, go, to, go to these people, so he gets there, and he arrives, and, and Buddhism is the predominant religion in this area. And still to this day, he still is the predominant religion. And it was very difficult for him to get in the door. Uh, so he, he does everything he can. He's learning the language. He's studying the people. And he even constructs something called a Zayat, which was what uh, Buddhist priests would preach from, and it would help to, to get an audience. And and people would come and listen to him, but then they just walk away. And it was like six years of this, not one convert. He has learned the language, he's studying, he's working his tail off, and man, I mean, just nothing. Not one piece of fruit that he's seeing. Can you imagine laboring for six years and not getting a paycheck, or laboring for six years and not seeing any fruit to your labor, just feeling like, okay, all I did was build a little building called Isaiah. Like, that's all I've accomplished throughout this time. Man, and he just kept going. That's, that's endurance, perseverance, right? The power of God, all powerful God is, is working on him. Yet, good news was on the horizon. Finally, a guy would come to a saving knowledge of Christ and be baptized. And, and so, there's a huge celebration. That is great, some fruit to the labor. Yet, this was also not without a cost. Now, the persecution starts to ramp up. Hey, this dude keeps preaching. Nobody's really listening to him. We're cool, whatever. You know, he can do whatever. But now, a guy gets saved, a guy gets baptized, and there's a couple more starting to kind of join their fellowship. Well, now the persecution ramps up from the government. Like, whoa, we can't let this this Christian guy here do that. And then on top of that, not only the persecution comes, he gets thrown in prison a little bit there, off and on. He also, over these years, loses two wives and a lot of his children, uh, and so just just a ton of of extreme suffering, extreme trials. But God continues to renew his life. He he, he definitely had dark times of depression. And, and none of us can withstand this kind of stuff without having some dark times, some times where we fall on our face before the Lord. Read, read the Psalms. David did it a lot, a lot. I'm sure and Adoniram read a lot of the Psalms. But God would continue to give him that joy back and be like, okay, give him that peace back. And today the country of Burma actually has around six to eight percent Christianity in that, uh, in that uh, nation even today. How, how amazing is that? The last word here that we've talked about already is the word joy, and it means it's hurrah, uh, which means joy, rejoice, and jubilation. And We should have joy even when we're suffering. And I know that sounds very oxymoronic. It just seems wrong. How can we have joy in the midst of our suffering? Well, we know where our help comes from, right? We read that already, but here's Psalm 121, 1 through 2. I'll lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the... Lord, who made heaven and earth. We can be full of joy because we know who holds tomorrow. We know that even though tomorrow looks bleak and maybe we're not even going to make it to tomorrow, we know who holds our tomorrow eternally, right? We as believers have a promise, a guarantee of salvation through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. If you don't stand secure, if you if you hear this and you're like, okay, you know, I know I, I made a decision, I know I made a head decision, but I don't know if I, Made a heart decision. I don't know if I went all if I repented uh, and I don't know if maybe I'm trying to trying to keep Jesus as my co pilot. I don't know if maybe I'm trying to to just add Jesus to my life. Uh, You know, I got I got my Jesus box here and I've got the rest of things here and I'm trying to keep it all separated because I want to be able to do what I want to do. If that's where you're at, you know, I, I pray that you really try to make sure you got your heart right with the Lord. I pray that you that you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross some 2,000 years ago, that He is 100% God, 100% man, suffered and died and was crucified for our sins, that He rose three days later, but that also He's the God that can change your life, that can make you new, that He can take the old and He can make you completely new, not just add Him to you, but that He can completely transform who you are. If you haven't, I would love to talk to you after the service about that, because there is no other foundation that is firm and solid, like the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Everything else, all their foundations, money, health, whatever it is, those foundations are going to crack and crumble. They're not going to last, but the rock of Jesus will endure. Jim, would you mind to get uh, the communion uh, for us? We're going to do communion here in just a little bit. But I pray that if you are a believer, sometimes even as believers, we can struggle with going all in, but then kind of trying to take some of it back. You know, it's like, okay, I've made that decision. I am saved. But sometimes we can have certain seasons where, where the suffering's kind of tough, uh, where, where maybe things aren't going the way we, we would like it to go. And so we try to maybe take a couple of aspects of our life back. Well, you know, I don't really trust God with this part. I don't really trust God with this part. And we, and we, we try to just hold on, right? I, I don't know how many times I, I I've, I've giving something to the lord in prayer only to like have a rope attached to it when i'm walking and i'm just dragging it behind me you know it's just it's so hard sometimes to just completely let that go to, to lay it at the foot of the cross and so i pray that if that's you too that you give it to him and so i'm going to just spend a little bit of time uh, in prayer here just silent prayer if that's you you want to come and talk to me i'd love to talk with you if we want if you want to pray there's an altar here chairs here love to talk to you for a little while and um, then we're going to have communion right after that okay